I'm going to actually preach this morning from Genesis to Revelation. I mean Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. But in the middle of that, right now, I want you to turn to Psalm 139. And later on, we'll be at that portion of the Word of God. I want to say thank you to Henry and the musicians and the singers. Thank you for getting us into the presence of the Lord and making this atmosphere sweet with the presence of our Lord. I thank God for you. How many of you are busy as you need to be? Can I ask you a question this morning? How many of you realize that the world and even the United States of America, we are in spiritual trouble? How many of you know we are? And I'm going to hit some things this morning that's going to be pretty straight, but I think we need to know the absolute truth. I doubt if you will hear a more rudimentary or maybe elementary sermon than this morning. But I, I'm coming so because I realize that our world, by and large, does not know this book. If we did, we wouldn't be living like we're living. If we knew this book, we wouldn't be having the turmoil across this planet that we are experiencing. I want to tell you the author of this book is the eternal God. And I want to talk about it. So let's begin. Genesis 1 and 1. Why don't you just say it with me from, we'll do the old King James, probably most of you are more familiar, I perhaps. Genesis 1 and 1, say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Say it where everybody can hear you. In the beginning, God created That's Genesis 1 and 1. I want to take you all the way to Revelation 22 and verse 20 that says this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. The very God that in the beginning of what we call time, not him, that stood in nothing, spoke into nothing, and everything that is was created. That God says at the end of the revelation, if you testify to these things, that one that testifies, the revelator, if you will, the one who gave the revelation, if we, he who testifies to this thing says, I am coming quickly. The reason Christ said that was he just got through giving the revelation to John and he said, these are the things that are going to be happening just before I return. So I've, I've written this two or three sentences. I want you to follow with me. I've asked uh, our crew to put it on the video and read it with me. It says this. Today we live in a society that is convinced there are no absolute truths. It not only considers the Bible outdated and irrelevant to contemporary problems, but also sees each person as free to decide what is right. I want you everyone to look at me. If we have reduced the fact that everyone has a right and is free to decide what is right and what is wrong, we are gods unto ourselves. And we have dethroned God and we've put ourselves on the throne. You believe that or not, it is true. We have deitized humanity. That's a big problem. As a result, continuing, our culture is ungodly, immoral, violent, and self-centered. And we've experienced... Not only that, many people 
I'm going to say it, are depraved. There is doctrines of devils that is going across this world today like never before. Paul talked to it about Timothy. If you want to look what doctrines of devils will do to a society, look at the United States of America politically today in our, in our philosophies and go back and look at Romans 1 and 2. You will see what the doctrines of devils will do to the last generation before Christ returns. And I want to declare to you, we have been turned over to depraved minds. Just this week, I read and saw in a video where a drag queen was allowed into public schools in California to totally try to dement the minds of our children. Pastor, why would you be so bold to say that? Because I want to tell you that, that they come under the concept of, well, we love everybody and tolerate everybody and all that as if that's so wonderful. I want to tell you that is blindness at its worst. Because no accountability except unto myself, I want to tell you, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that, we will all appear before the judgment of our Creator God. To continue, it becomes imperative to ask, what is your concept of God? And I'm going to be so simple this morning, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be very rudimentary. I think I've said that. Because our world does not know this book and our world does not, thus not know our God. This much I will tell you for certain when it comes to what is your concept of God. Whether accurate or not, hear me, your outlook on life, your destiny in this world, and your destiny in the next world, and your present behavior will be determined by your concept and your idea of God. And if God is major to you, it will affect your life. If you have dethroned God and become God unto yourself, I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, life is going to be a wreck for you because life never turns out right without God because He was our Creator and He created us to have a relationship with Him. If you dethrone Him and live only to yourself, nothing in your life is going to turn out right for any length of time. We are told for centuries, and I believe this, our psychologists tell us, and I believe it, that our idea and our concept of God comes primarily from our relationship with our earthly fathers. And I want you to know I believe that is extremely true. So young people, mom and dad, is it any wonder that Satan has purposefully attacked the family? destroyed the image of fathers. I have for the last 40 years watched Hollywood make Dag the big dummy of the house. He is overweight, overworked, lazy, tired of it, and he's so stupid the kids in junior high school come and talk to mom about him, and then eventually they get smarter than mom, and now the teenager's in charge of the house. And everybody else is not cool. Why are you so quiet on me this morning? Pastor, you're saying this to the world. I am. 
We have dethroned dads. And so dads have not become the leader of the home that God said they should be. And they're not godly men. They've, now they've become so selfish that they destroy their children. Dads have abused spiritually, verbally, physically, spiritually their children. And we have a generation that does not know how to cope with it. And they're living in hell on earth under all kinds of pressure from the devil because they don't have the answers and neither does psychology. Because there's body and soul and spirit and a body we have physicians for. A soulish realm is our psychologist that can help us with, with giving 12 steps. But there's a spirit. Who deals with the spirit? Who's the doctor of the spirit? I want to tell you, God is the doctor of the spirit because he's the creator of the spirit. And you can try to eliminate God, but only God can go to the deep places of where people actually live. A.W. Tozer, one of my spiritual heroes years ago, said this. He's in his reward today. He said the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he deep in his heart conceives God to be like. I am convinced that a belief in God is far more reliable than atheism. Church, do you believe that? I'm convinced that a belief in creationism is far more rational and reliable than evolution. Here's an absolute truth that you can take to the bank eternally. All creation testifies of the existence of God. All creation testifies. I look at a rock and I look at a blade of grass and I, I, I look at a, at, at a monkey and I look at a, a puppy dog. I want to tell you, those are all, according to the Lord, creation. He created them in their likeness, and they multiply after their own kind. And I'm just going to tell you how evolution is so ridiculous. And go read Darwin. He didn't say it was fact. It was his philosophy, his theory. But they don't want you to know that part. Here's the thing. A monkey can't become a blade of grass. A rock can't create a monkey. <laughs> I love what one person said. He said, when they tell you, when somebody tells you that you ascended from a monkey, just leave them alone. They know, you know more about, they know more about their ancestors than you do. <laughs> it's all right to laugh. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I know things evolve. I understand, the, I understand the creation in that area. But I want to tell you, it, 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 it's, it, it is a witness to the existence of God. But here's a good question. How can we know God? I want to answer that with this. We can see evidence of God in nature. And we can discern some of his character in what we see around us. However, I want to declare that humanity through their wisdom and through their knowledge, cannot know God. Out of their position and their power, whatever they may be, they, no matter how intellectual, they cannot know God with that. Here's why. Here's how God is known. God is known through His high and holy spirit 
and he's known his genuine spirit and his genuine holy word. He, we can obtain and possess a clear glimpse of God knowing his spirit and his word. That's why the enemy of this world and that's why the humanistic manifesto took prayer and the Bible out of school so that we would deny God and not realize that we are literally breathing his air and he's the reason we have life. That's what they had in mind. John 4.24, at the Samaritan well, Jesus spoke to a woman and he said, God is a spirit And they that worship him must worship him in spirit, that's his Holy Spirit, and in truth, that's his word. The way to know God is through his spirit, that deep inner voice in your spirit that leads you toward righteousness and his word that is the very bread of our life. Amen. So what is God like? Number one, he's this. God is a spiritual being. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? I want to tell you, God, how he's not confined to a body that can be seen or touched. But I do believe in times of Scripture we have from Genesis on, even in the New Testament, I do believe there are people whom God has appeared to. All through the New Testament, we know God has appeared to man because he came in the form of his son, Jesus. And I believe there's a pre-incarnate. That means before he was incarnated in the flesh, I believe in Genesis 1, we even see Christ as that lamb, that pre-incarnate Christ. There have been men in times past in the Old Testament that have seen parts of God. We'll talk about it in a minute. But his presence cannot always be detected with the senses. He is present in the material world, but I declare to you, God transcends the material world. So God is a spirit. Here's number one. God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere at all times. Psalm 139. Where can I go from, verse 7 and 8, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. I want to declare to you as an encouragement to the believer, God's omnipresent means this. God sees whatever happens to you every moment of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, we can call on God wherever we are, whatever the situation, and God says, I will be a very present help anytime, anywhere, any place you need me because I am omnipresent. You say, well, pastor, these type of things, we just can't comprehend that. That is true because we have finite minds, but God is infinite. Secondly, God is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. God knows everything. 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 God knows our thoughts. The scripture says he even knows the intents of our hearts. I want to pay particular attention to that for a moment. This is God's omniscience. He knows everything. I want to declare to you, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. 
The good news is that Satan does not know your thoughts and the intents of your heart unless he puts it there or unless he reminds you of it. And he's always there to remind us of our past. How many of you know that's true? But the good news is that when we pray to the Lord, if we pray in our spirit or if we pray in our, in, within ourselves and don't verbalize it, Satan doesn't know what we're praying. I've got to where, yes, I pray out loud, and I pray, especially when I want to come against Satan and I rebuke him in the power and the authority of Christ. But more than, but other than that, I've got to where I either pray in my spirit or I pray silently because I have a conversation between me and God Satan knows nothing about. That's why I like the Pentecostal part of it, but those disciples, I know, well, I'm not going to get into all that theology, but I want to tell you, my spirit man can pray and he can speak and he can sing, and it's unto the Lord. God knows our thoughts. Listen to this. God knows our feelings. God knows our fears. God knows our failures. God knows our victories. God knows our personalities. Lord, help him. <laughs> no. God knows our needs. I want to read the first five verses of Psalm 139 again. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. For behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Ladies and gentlemen, God is omniscient. He knows everything about us. God knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. God's wisdom and knowledge are infinite. God is able to devise perfect ends and to achieve them by perfect means. God does holy things by holy means. God never does a right thing in a wrong way. That's our problem. They may even know it's quiet in here, but that's good. God cannot fall short. God cannot fail. God cannot make a mistake. God cannot lie. God can do anything but fail. When I was three years old in a, in a church of God in a place called Plainview, Texas, I lived there the first three and a half years of my life. I remember an old course that church sang back then. I remember several of them, but one of them is this. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. He can save. He can heal all according to his word. God can do anything but fail. Three years old, I got that message. I'm going to tell you it's as true today as it was then. And I'm not going to tell you how many days that's been. I will tell you this. This last week I had a birthday. I mean, I got more mature this last week. Well, I had a birthday. Thank you for all your cards. God cannot fail. He's omniscient. 
Here's one, God is omnipotent. That means he's all power. That's why he can't fail. God is eternal and self-existent. God was not brought into existence by someone else. God is not the least bit dependent upon any other being at all. There never was a time God did not, was, did, was not. He's existed before anything we call time. He's on his own power. He created everything, dependent upon nothing. God is superior to all other beings in every way. And everything else that exists is his creation. Somebody said, well, did God create sin? No, he didn't create that. You know what? That came out of one of his beings that had a free moral agency called my, uh, the, the archangel. And then that same choice was given to Adam and Eve because when God cast that angel to earth, they, they, the angel, Satan, Lucifer, camped out at the one isolated negative that God said, this has to prove you love me because love has to be a choice. And they failed. God didn't create evil and sin. That came into being because Satan or Lucifer said two words, I will. This was while he was still in the glory world. God gave him choice. God gives every being free moral agency. He lets us choose. Here, watch this. Everybody thinks, and, and it's okay, thinks that sin began in Eden. And, and, and of course on the earth it did. But that same devil, that same Lucifer that was cast to the earth, who said, I will, I will become the Most High. I will ascend against the stars. I will, I will, I will. And to now, all these generations to 2019, Satan takes the very two words that cursed him for eternity, and he puts it in your mind, and he says it like this. You do what you want to do. You do what you think is best. You're your own God. I will, I will, I will. And the damnation of those two words rules this world today. Our world is full of I will, I want. How many of you know I'm telling us the truth? Here God is. Here he is. Everything exists because he created it, but he didn't create evil. That came out of a heart that had a choice. Fourthly, God is immutable. This one is difficult for us. He's immutable. What does that mean, Pastor? It means God never never changes. Ladies and gentlemen, there is never the slightest variation in God's essence or his character. God is not for sale. He will not change. Malachi, the prophet, in the last one in the Old Testament said this, God said this to him, for I am the Lord and I do not change. This world and men's philosophies have been trying to change God ever since they've been on this planet. We want God to do this and God to do that. And because the eternal God won't change, we create all the other men, man-made gods. Storm, lightning, thunder, sun, trees, nature. I'm telling you, the world is covered with gods and they make all kinds of ugly statues about them and you travel the world all over, you can't imagine. I, I, even to this day, when I went to Greece several years ago, I couldn't believe all the statues of God and Satan and all those things that people still believe in. God is immutable. Very little in our world is unchanging 
All things are in constant flux, but I want to tell you something. God is eternally the same. Pastor, why is that important? Because this world may change and men's philosophies and rulers come and go. God sets the kings up and puts the kings down. But this one thing we know, the God that has promised us twice born people and eternity in heaven is the one that cannot be changed by power or man or anything. God's not only a spirit being. My second point is this. God is truth. You want an absolute truth? Try God. Come on, say amen. The fact that we are invited, don't miss this, the fact that we are invited to worship God, hear me young people, please understand, mom and dad, the fact that we are invited to worship God implies that God is a moral being. That means he is worthy of worship. Every one of us in this room and everybody hearing this broadcast and every human being on planet earth have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are not to be worshipped because we have failed morally and that's not just talking about sexual things. It's talking about morally, about dishonesty and the whole realm of sin. But God is perfect and the very fact that we are invited to worship him says he is a moral being. And not only that, the fact that God must be worshipped implies that God is a holy being. He is above all else. So let me touch that word holy. God is holy. It means God is set apart and above everything. Young people, God is holy, separated from sin. But God cannot be defiled by sin. The angels and the seraphim right at this moment in a place called heaven that I'm going to see someday. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They worship at his throne because God is absolute, awesome perfection. And when the creation is done and he changes this world, even when the saints and the earth and the peoples of the earth wouldn't recognize him. He said, I will make even the rocks and the mountains cry holy. Men like Daniel and Isaiah and John, when they beheld the holy God, when they saw him, them and others, they everyone fell to the ground as if they were dead. The Bible records it. These, these men immediately felt unfit. Isaiah said, I am unclean among an unclean people. John fell to the ground said, I am unworthy. These men were smitten with their absolute insignificance compared to and in the presence of absolute holiness and absolute perfection. Does that not move your heart? God is holy. And he said, I am holy, so I want you to be holy. I want to set you apart from this world. Not that we're not to witness in it, but we are to be in it, help me, but not of it. Secondly, in God's truth, he is just. Everything that God does is fair. Everything God does is righteous and good. 
Every act of God is a righteous act. His commandments are righteous. His standards are righteous. His rewards are righteous. And watch this, young people, mom and dad. Everything God does is righteous. And the wonder of wonders of wonders. Romans 3, he sent his own son to make and declare you and me righteous when we didn't even deserve it. Let me tell you something. When you've been declared righteous in the high court of heaven by the sovereign, perfect Savior, you can believe that God looks at us as if we are righteous because the blood of Christ covers all sin. How many of you are glad about that? Thirdly, God is faithful. God cannot violate his word. God is faithful to finish his work. I want to declare to you that part of God's moral being is the fact that he is faithful. And when we come into Christ and we come into his blood and his salvation, we are declared righteous and we are called the atonement and we are justified just as if we had not sinned. When he declares us righteous, it means that we are responsible as moral beings and we must be faithful. Can I remind you that marriage was God's idea and he requires that husbands and wives be faithful to each other? You know why? Because he gives men and women the power of procreation and he wants somebody mature enough and got enough gumption about them that they will say, we will marry, we will make a commitment, we will be faithful because God wants somebody responsible for raising these children. And let me hit us hard. Just because you're a sperm donor doesn't mean you're a father. I got to get out of here somewhere. <laughs> Number four, God is in truth. He is gracious. He is gracious. God gives favor. He gives divine favor to those who deserve condemnation. So let me say that in another way. God gives divine favor to every one of us in this room when we deserve condemnation. What was God's response to Adam's sin? Did God write them off? Did he destroy them? Did he reject them? Did he just blow them into oblivion and say, forget it, I'll just start all over? Truth is, and what he did, can you imagine? Can you imagine? God had all these, this garden that, that was the garden that said, I love you, I love you, I love you. The whole world, I love you, I love you. I give it to you, have it all. One tree to make a choice. And Satan sold them their goods, I will, that cursed him and it cursed all creation. Can you imagine suddenly in that beautiful garden, Adam and Eve, let me tell you what I believe. You don't have to believe this. I hope you go study it. I believe that Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created in image bearers of God. And I think God has a, a luminescent glow about him and his glory. I know his glory is his presence, but I also believe in that presence of the Lord because I can show you many times in Scripture where it says he is light. 
I believe Adam and Eve were covered, if you will, in a white, glorious, just like God. But when they sinned, they lost it. God removed his glory from it because God cannot be contaminated by sin. And you know what they did? How many of you know that God knew where they were? God knew what was going on. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. But can you imagine the scripture says his voice came walking. You know what that means? Can you imagine being in that garden and you've disappointed God and suddenly you hear his voice? The, the old King James Version said his voice came walking through the garden. How many of you ever heard a voice walking toward you? Boy, that's an experience, isn't it? My dad could just make a wrong noise and I'd tremble. Because I was taught you obey authority. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? Adam. Probably shouldn't do it like that. Adam. I'm impressed, are you? Adam, where are you? How many of you know God knew where they were? You know what he's doing? He's not rejecting them. You know what he's doing? He's calling them because of all creation. God's prime creation, his masterpiece was the human being. We're more than body and soul. We have his spirit in us. And his voice wasn't for condemnation, judgment, although he's just, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Watch this. He called them. He called them. And he said, where are you? And you know what Adam's response was? He said, I didn't come because I was naked. Read the scripture. You know what the first thing God said to Adam when he said we were naked? God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? You know what happened? They sinned and lost the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you, man without God and salvation has lost the glory. But someday, I read where John said, if I'm faithful and I'm under the blood of Christ, it does not yet appear what I shall be, but when he appears, I shall be like him. And I believe someday I'm going to again reflect the glory of God. Not because of me, but because of his work. Did, did God just throw them away? Did he just destroy them? Here's what he did. God made his fallen children some clothes and he covered their nakedness. He covered their sin. He, and he gave them a promise of redemption. He gave them a sacrifice for their redemption. You know what God did to Adam's sin? He responded in grace, and he still responds that way today to you and me. Which brings me to the next one, and I need to hurry. He's long-suffering. God bears with sinners in spite of their continued disobedience. How many of you are witnesses to that today? How many of you know that you've asked God? How many has asked God two or three times to forgive you? How many of you have repented 20 times? How many have repented 200 times? How many have repented 2,000 times? Well, you need to repent today. Some of you, if you never repented, 
Let me declare to you, I have been to God and repented probably 10,000 times. And then I had a minister friend in the first service. I said that. How many of you have repented 10,000 times? Come on, let me see your hand. Every room in this, get, get your hands up. Get your hands up. If you're saved, you better have repented 10,000 times. I had a minister friend, when I said that in the first service, he went to calculate it. And he said, Pastor, if I just repented one time a day for 60 years, it's over 21,000 times. And I had to admit to him after service, that's pretty mind-boggling. But sometimes I've had to repent many times a day. I may be the worst among us. But God's long-suffering. God is patient. As a matter of fact, the scripture says God is slow to anger. I will tell you this, there'll come a day when his long suffering won't last forever. Romans 2 and 5 declares that God's justice will be put in a balance of scale and those who've chosen God will be in heaven. Those who've rejected him will be in hell. But Galatians 6 and 7 says what we reap we sow, or what we sow we reap, excuse me. But it brings me to this one, God is loving in 1 John 4 and 8, it says God is love. Let me, remind, let me remind us of something. God not only says he loves us, God gave supreme, final proof that he loves us. You sinned, I sinned, we deserve to die, and God killed his son instead of us. Don't tell me. He doesn't love you. Don't tell me he's a tyrant. God not only says he loves us, he showed us. Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not simply talk. God acts. The eternal memorial of his love toward us is a blood-stained cross. And in a few days, what we will celebrate as an empty tomb. God loves you. God loves you. It's his nature. Through all the centuries, we have the testimony of those from the very beginning. Through all the centuries to this very day, ladies and gentlemen, God has shined through tears and misery and sin and vile in crime, in tragedy, he has shined like a shaft of sunlight on a dark day to bring hope to fallen humanity no matter what age they lived. Because I want to tell you something. We see God's love in revelation. We see God's love in mercy. We see God's love in patience, in redemption. We see God's love in his bludgeoned, beaten, sacrificed, infant son. We see God's love in the cross. I want to just tell you, salvation's free, but it didn't come cheaply. That's why, because of what it costs God to redeem you and me, we're not going to adamantly just sin in space and walk across the blood of Christ under our feet and just say, good old God, he'll forgive me. There's a much higher order than that. And we are called to it. 
How many of you know that we have responsibility? For us in 2019, I'm going to ask some questions and I'll be through. Not only to this congregation, but all across this world. Do you know the God of the Bible? Do you really know God? Do you really know Him? Not just about Him. Not just do you believe in Him, do you know Him? Another question is this, do you walk with Him daily? The two criteria, He must be worshipped in spirit. Do you know His spirit? If you do, you'll be obedient to Him. Do you know Him in His Word? If you do, you'll be obedient to it. Do you really know Him? Because if you really know Him, you will see His attributes reflected in your life. We have a cheap Christianity today that says, Oh, I believe in God and I'm a Christian. But I'm going to tell you, He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, You'll, you'll take up your cross every day and you won't do what you think and you won't do what you want. You won't do what you'll rationalize. You will do what my spirit and my word direct you to do. That is what he said. I have not added or taken away from this book. That is the truth. How many of you appreciate the truth? 2019, 2019. In 2019, this generation is a very spirit-conscious mass. They are searching because God put in the heart of humanity a search. But it's all supposed to lead eventually to the one who created it all. I want to just tell you something. Muhammad died and he's still dead and he's not coming back gods of the Hindu and the gods of Buddhism, actually the, the place of Navarna. If you believed in the, in the Buddha, actually if you really study it, that Buddha is not God. It, they, they, what they think is God is reaching Navarna peace and where everything's at balance and everything's be- I just want to tell you something if if they believe that that's the truth I, I declare to you Adam and Eve had it before in the garden of Eden before your belief ever came along and they still blew it <laughs> you can you can look to the moonies you can look to new age you can try everything in the world but there's no god like Jehovah There's no God like Yahweh. There's no God like Elohim. There's none compare. None compares to God. In our spirit-conscious hunting world, you and I owe the sinner a debt. Young people on a school campus, mom and dad at work, in our homes, place of business, in the public, we're supposed to carry this message and know what God is really like. I know I have to go. I uh, went to high school four years. (laughs) I heard a comedian say one time, he said, nine years are the best years of my life I spent in high school. (laughs) Well, I hadn't made it in four. (laughs) Had a call from a classmate months and months and months ago. 
conversation turned about God. Well, I know you've always been religious. And I began to talk about God. The person on the other end of the phone said, I don't know anything about that. My age graduated with me. I don't know anything about that. And I said, what? The person on the other end of the phone said, my dad never took me to church. 60 plus years old in the United States of America don't know this God it made me examine myself it made me go Lord what did I what did I why didn't I why was it I a better witness why what have I failed you Lord I, I went to a place like that in my heart ladies and gentlemen our lives have influence Young people, teenagers, your life has influence. And people are watching you. And they're looking. And they need a witness that's true. They need to know what God's really like. I love God as my father. I love God as the most precious possession I own. Satan will try to cause us to fear everything in this world. I don't fear the enemy because I know whom I have believed in. I'm convinced he's able to keep anything I give to him, Paul said. And I want to tell you, whatever comes this much I know, when you, when you turn it over to God, God has it in control.